in a world where every diet you know is wrong. Well, not every diet. I mean... Yes, but almost every doesn't sound as good. Yeah, but... Shut up. One man stands alone. Well, not completely. I mean... It's time for Adam Martin, the No Breakfast Guy. And let's talk fast. Fasting, fitness, and fat loss. What's going on, guys? Hope you're having a fantastic day. Just a short little interlude before I jump into this week's episode of the podcast. I actually recorded this podcast over three years ago after having a chat with Jordan last week and kind of reminiscing about three years ago when I first chatted to Jordan. I went back to a lot of the old episodes that I had originally done on my original podcast called How the Focaccia, and there's been some amazing chats that I've had over that podcast, and as I said, I wish I'd continued recording those and had been recording podcasts over the last three years. But that said, I'm here now and I think this chat that I had with John and his adventure that he was going on at the time we were recording this podcast, where he was riding from London to Asia, was a fantastic chat. There's a lot of great insights and a lot of great points that I think we brought up in this. So I thought I'd bring this podcast to all of you. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. It's a great chat, a great inspirational story, and I hope you have a fantastic day listening to it. So guys, Roll into the next podcast. Here it is. I'll talk to you next week. Ciao. Good morning and welcome to yet another episode of How the Focaccia. I'm your host, Adam Martin, more commonly known as the No Breakfast Guy. And I'm incredibly humbled to have uh, this incredible human being on the line uh, today by the name of John. He uh, is a storyteller, an adventurer, and um, among other things, he's uh, run across Africa and he's on a, a journey at the moment, which I can't wait to hear more about. So without further ado, I will introduce you to John. And John, how the focaccia? Ah, hello. Pleased to be here. Fantastic. Well, um, I've got a customary first question that I always like to ask uh, each guest that I have on, and we'll get straight into it after that. But I always like asking, where are you and how's the weather? Uh, the weather here is absolutely baking. It's about 36 degrees, maybe 38. I haven't really checked, but I'm, uh, I'm currently in the shade, put it that way. <laughs> and um, I'm not exactly sure where I am, if I'm being honest. Um, I'm in some small town. I think it's called like Rubica. Uh, it's about sort of 80 kilometers short of Zadar in Croatia. So um, I sort of spend the morning sort of cycling along. Um, and now I'm sort of resting up while it's way, way too hot to cycle. <laughs> and then uh, maybe do a little bit this, uh, this evening. Fantastic. Well, I mean, I guess that leads into uh, what you're currently doing now. We'll certainly be talking more about that. But um, just for the audience listening in, tell us a little bit of who you are, where you've come from and what you've done and kind of where it led to where you are now. Um, so this whole sort of adventure thing, I, I, I sort of ha I always felt I had it in me. But I suppose it was sort of when I left university, I sort of had this, what, at the time, I think it's still pretty stupid now, but um, I had to sort of pick up a bike and cycle across America, even though I'd never sort of ridden more than 10 miles, you know, from my house or, you know, I don't <laughs> think I, I, even at the time I owned a bike. Um, and so I sort of had this idea and then it sort of grew on me and I sort of went away um went into the Alps uh, for five months and then when I came back I was like actually you know what 
I'm going to go for it. I'm not going to listen to anyone that sort of puts it down. I'm just going to go for it and see what happens. And that's sort of where my sort of love of back, back, backcountry traveling, uh, the idea of sort of away from the tourist maps and away from the big crowds and you just the bike sort of just gave us enormous freedom and I mean I was completely naive at the time while cycling across you know I I didn't really I didn't even know what cleats were at the time I remember <laughs> and um and so when my friend explained them to me I was like oh yeah, yeah yeah of course of course um and then you know I didn't really take a sort of structured map it was very much oh you know that place is anything from 80 to 100 miles away let's let's try and cycle there and it sort of just led me into towns where people would just be like who are you why are you here and why are you in my town but in a sense not like you know get out it was like you know I've never seen a cyclist come through here especially not one from Britain and so this sort of people started sort of opening up their homes you know treating me to you know a drink here and there and I just found it just the most incredible way of traveling and just sort of these stories I had to tell people just could not believe them and um, you know people putting me up for the night just strangers who you meet for one minute you know you just suddenly go and they're like oh hey um, where are you from and you'd be like oh I'm from Britain oh well where are you staying tonight uh, I'm not sure and I'll be like oh well come and stay with me and you're like did, did that just happen um, and so it's that sort of love just sort of grew. And, you know, I, I sort of felt, um, you know, after studying for five years at university, I should probably put my degree to some use. But the sort of love and adventure sort of was sort of just grew and grew and grew to the point where last year I sort of uh, sort of led me to my run across Kenya and Uganda. And... Uh, you know, it was that when I sort of say you, you, you're sort of into fitness and you're sort of like, oh, you know, your training regimes with sort of cycling. I don't I don't really train for it. I mean, for this one, I did a bit, but America, I didn't. And for my run across Kenya, which I regretted not doing too much training um, because I got injured. But I sort of just had the idea and I just went with it just sort of saying yeah let's just see what happens and so the idea was to you know I pick one spot and another spot and I just say okay let's let's try and see if I can run from here to here and you know covering roughly a marathon a day and of course you know if you just decide to pick up one day and go for a run doing marathon after marathon you get injured <laughs> Um, How long did that take before you kind of got injured? Well, it took eight days. Um, And, you know, slowly the sort of pain came on. And then by sort of day 10, it was pretty painful. And then I got food poisoning, but carried on. So not only did I have shin splints and food poisoning, I just kept running. (laughs) Um, So then I lost a sort of drastic amount of weight in a very short space of time, which of course, then you get slightly down. Um, And about halfway through, so I was in Nairobi at the time trying to get to the coast. And there was a sort of part of me that was like, I don't think I can go on. Um, 
but you know I had a had a good meal and the next day I was back running another marathon again and the food poisoning went the shin splints got worse but I just thought as long as I can keep moving you know I will um I can complete it and there's no reason to quit and how long did that uh, run take in in total then so the original idea was to do it in 31 days but um I got a very interesting call from the former vice president um who invited me to his office for the day so it ended up being 32 okay (laughs) when you get a sort of call like that you don't really sort of go no i've got to carry on i'm afraid (laughs) did did he had he heard about the run that you were doing and just kind of wanted to talk to you more about that or like how did that conversation come about so he he sort of heard it on a plane about this sort of uh english guy running across the country and he sort of, uh, he he was sort of, uh, what, how do you say it? He was the former vice president in um, 2007, and I think he's probably going to go for the presidency next year. Um, so, um, and I, I had absolutely no idea who he was, but um, everyone sort of was like, whoa, whoa, because... Um, I'm, I'm now slightly clued up in sort of Kenyan politics, but at the time I was a bit sort of like naive. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I um, went to sort of see him, have a chat, and he's sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, um, we'll, we'll get a few sort of people, media crew, to come around and sort of, you know, listen to your story. And I was sort of expecting, you know, sort of university paper journalist or something to come round and as I arrived there was sort of what 20 odd cameramen and press there in a sort of news conference style room and I was like oh my god (laughs) a little bit more serious than uh, a university paper (laughs) yeah and the uh, university guy was nowhere in sight um and so this that was the whole sort of point of the story was that by doing these trips, you know, I, I just go with no expectation and just sort of go from point A to point B and just sort of, maybe naively sometimes, but just hope it'll work out. And usually it does. And the people you meet along the way, you know, most of the time they are just the most incredible people. So um, that's sort of what I try and encourage with my sort of storytelling is that people who are, because when you sort of tell these stories, people are very, very quick to say, you can't do that. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm the sort of one just going, no, you can. You know, it doesn't matter if you've never run a marathon or never, you haven't picked up your bike in 10 years, you know, as long as you can just keep moving forward you know, good things will happen. Most certainly. Um, you said, obviously, you, had, um, you were finishing up university. I mean, your university degree, does it have anything to do with what you're doing now, or are you able to use it in any way, or is it a completely different field? It's a completely different field. Um, and so I, I, sort of, I sort of got to the point. I mean, my, my, once I went back into work, this sort of idea of... Um, well I was living in London at the time and the idea of sort of you know going into work and going into an office I started 
you know, quickly to sort of be like, oh, I don't, this is just, I don't think this is for me. You know, I'm not really enjoying it that much. Um, there must be more. And of course, you know, all the older generation are like, no, 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 the work is very boring. You know, you just got to get used to it. Um, and and in the end, I was just like, no, there, there must be another way. And so I, I sort of just do these, you know, trips sort of just as, because they're great fun to do. I mean, they're, they're hard work at times, but um, I, I, I absolutely love doing them. And you did you do the run uh, through Kenya completely solo? Did I read that? So pretty much, yeah. Um, so I carried all my stuff um, on a backpack and uh, just decided to start on the top of Mount Elgon, um, which of course is an incredibly high altitude. Which you just when you're you know on a computer, just looking on Google Maps, you just don't even think of these things. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, that was my first ever marathon was day one. What altitude did it start at? Uh, I think it was about sort of, I'm not sure, maybe 3,000 meters. Good God. <laughs> well, I, I remember um, I, did a, I did a trek to base camp Everest um, a few years ago with my, with my father. And uh, when we were about, I think it was about five days from getting to, or maybe even four days from getting from, um, base camp itself there was some guys running backwards like coming back the other way um, and we'd found out that um, there's an actual marathon um, it's a little longer than a marathon it's, I think it's 55 k's but um, it starts at base camp Everest and runs back down to the airport um, in Lukla and um, just I mean I, I couldn't even barely walk at this um, altitude let alone <laughs> kind of think about running how did you find not being a runner but also being at uh, that kind of altitude to kind of start day one there well, the the altitude, because I sort of lived in the mountains, and you know, I, I altitude, I suppose, affects me slightly differently. Um, it was tough, um, and you know, it sort of takes a while to acclimatize. But um, yeah, I, I, it was probably best to start from the coast and work up <laughs> than the other way around. Put it that way. Um. And obviously, as you said, on the on the mostly uh, most of it, doing it solo. Are you someone that enjoys that kind of solidarity and just being out there on your own and just kind of, you know, at a whim to other people and what happens? Or would you like to do these with other people if you could find someone crazy enough to kind of want to run across Kenya? Yeah, there's a lot of sort of to and fro with that because one, I think people are more engaging when you go on your own because they sort of see you on your own and so they're very happy to talk whereas I think if you're in a pair or in a group it's sort of if, if there's a sort of stranger intrigued about what you're doing I think they might be sort of bit, you might be seen a bit more intimidating with a big group mm-hmm. uh, and yeah the other one is try convincing someone to um, you know run across Kenya solo yeah. uh, or you know deciding to cycle from London to Asia without any money, cannot spend it or touch it. They're, they're quite hard, uh, quite hard sells. That's, a very, that that's <laughs> a very difficult sell. And um, I guess yeah, that leads you um, into where we are now. And I guess I was introduced to you through um, a client of mine who follows you. And um, 
she had she's an ultra distance um, marathoner, and um, she said you've got to check this guy out. Like what he's done in the past and what he's doing now, it's just incredible. And I just searched you on Instagram, came across you, and I came across you at this point, obviously that you're now starting this trip from the UK to Asia with no money. I mean, the thought of going from the UK to Asia on a bike is long enough as it is, but not doing it with any money. Um, where did that idea come from? So the whole idea with it, were, I mean, there were sort of numerous ideas. One was I wanted to sort of show people that travel doesn't have to be expensive. So I sort of took that to the extreme. And one, I, I suppose what was the main purpose was to sort of show people that by being open and engaging to strangers, strangers will go out of their way to sort of help you. It was sort of trying to recreate my America cycle, mm-hmm. where, you know, people were very open, very friendly, and I just sort of felt that if you smile, you know, the world will smile with you, and that's what I was trying to show. But funny enough, unfortunately, the whole concept just sort of turned on its head very early, because with these trips, I like to sort of show the sort of freedom that uh, you can have from them. And what I hadn't realized was that money was a sort of, well, where you're most sociable and where people are more most engaging are in restaurants, bars, cafes. Whereas if you go with no money, you cannot go to those places. Mm-hmm. And so I was having to plan um, always ahead of you know about sort of three or four days to stay with someone otherwise I was just going to have powdered food um, and so I sort of sort of set myself targets you know from point A to point B but there was no sort of wiggle room you know if something happened that was sort of spontaneous or uh, something someone sort of said you know, oh, why didn't you come in for a drink? I'd be like, I couldn't because I I told these people I was going to meet them at 6.30 and I needed to make up time to do that. And so the whole thing became very structured. And of course, I got very hungry because I couldn't, I, you know, some people were cyclists, so they knew that cyclists have enormous appetites because you're burning you know silly calories mm. you know four five thousand maybe six in the heat so you know they'd prepare some would prepare like a massive meal or a big bowl of pasta but you know of course some just sort of were eating their normal sort of dinner or something which would might be three potatoes and a spoonful of lentils <laughs> so you went from so many extremes and so food became such a worry for me because I wasn't sure where my next meal was going to go or where, you know, I was going to find it. And, of course, I had powdered food, uh, like a replacement uh, food in case, Mm -hmm. along with, like, a handful of raisins and nuts that I carry. But there's probably only so much powdered food you can literally live on. You know, you... To get the calories in, you'd have to be drinking this stuff almost every two hours mm. to replace. Because it's a, it's a meal replacement, you know, it's probably 500 calories, but you're burning that in seconds. And yeah. You're, you can't really replace it. 
Um, so, and, yeah, it was very difficult. And kind of just take me back to, like, day one. I mean, tell me a little bit about was there much planning involved to get to day one, but kind of day one when you're on your bike in the UK, like, what's the kind of thought process going through your head of, is it excitement? Is it fear? Is it a little bit of awe? Like, like what? Yeah, I'm just trying to get into your head of what what happens day one. Oh, with all these trips, you know, the the final week before them, I'm absolutely petrified. I um, I'm sort of their game. Oh my god, what have I done? Um, but as soon as as soon as you start, that then it all just goes because you suddenly realise if you if you think of it rather than like the big thing from A to B, you know, London to Asia, you just take each day as it comes. So, you know, if you were to cycle from London to Canterbury, which is about 80 miles, you wouldn't sort of huff and puff and be like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, you know, it's so scary, I'm cycling to Canterbury. Um, You just take each day as it comes, you just break it down rather than you know think you know when am i going to get to asia when am i going to you know arrive um you just take each day as it comes and then slowly you know it's just i'm going to cycle from here to here and it's not really that much of a big deal and you know let's see what happens along the way um we were speaking obviously just quickly before we jumped onto this uh podcast as it was and you said that um about day 20 day 21 it, it kind of all changed from well I need some money. Like, what what kind of happened there, and where are you kind of currently with the whole process now? So, so I'd gone. I'd arrived in Italy, and I was actually at the time. I think it was about day twenty one, day twenty. I was in Lake Como. I was actually staying with one of my Instagram followers, who said, "Oh, you know, come and stay with me." It's like, yeah, why not? <laughs> um, so uh, I was staying with one of my Instagram followers, and. As I went, as I was sort of cycling on into the sort of Italian Alps, um, my 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 sort of back wheel was sort of what's the word? Uh, it was sort of vibrating. Uh, it just made this sort of uh, annoying. I don't really know how to describe it. Um, it basically was slightly bent and it was rubbing against the brake. And I had been doing that pretty much the whole way up and down the sort of Swiss and French Alps, Swiss made my life even more difficult than it needed to be. Um, And then, so it sort of got to the point where I had to unhinge the brake. And then I sort of thought, okay, you know, maybe, how could I fix this? Um, And then each day or each hour, it just got worse and worse to the point where I had to unscrew the brakes. and then I, I phoned a friend and said, um, look, I, I think my wheel is about to completely cave in. Is there a bike shop that you can see um, that might be able to help me out? Anyway, we sort of, you know, um, I think, where was I? I was just before the Passel del Tunnel, which is uh, a pass in the Italian Alps and I was trying to get to Trento which was about 150 kilometers and we were sort of planning and uh, I was like okay um, you know I can probably get to Trento by the day after tomorrow and then I couldn't even make it another 20 kilometers and had to 
the bike had just become almost unrideable. It was sort of pushing me into the road. The roads going up the mountains are pretty narrow as they are. I was just completely out of control. So for the final five kilometers up the mountain, I had to sort of push it. And I was sort of pushing it and pushing it. And I thought, right, when I get to the pass, uh, I, I, I didn't actually have any clue what to do. I just didn't know. And um, I, I luckily there was a bike shop, and they're like, oh yeah, you know, we should be able to fix it. And so I was like, oh, you know, brilliant. Um, you know, they might be able to fix it quite cheaply. I might be able to, you know, offer them something that you know they might be willing to take other than money. But um, then they're like yeah it's actually completely snapped and it's really dangerous so i was like oh um so they sort of got me a one wheel and then i was like no because i've sort of got a lot of weight with me and it was a proper you know thin road wheel um and i said you know i need um a proper sturdy wheel and so they sort of said, oh, I might have a friend who might have one anyway. It all took, you know, quite a few hours and hustling. And then they were like, uh, well, this is the price for it. And at that point, I was like, I can't even I can't even begin to sort of negotiate that down. They'd sort of gone through so much effort and time and then to sort of turn around and go, uh, yeah, by the way, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I can't pay. Um, so... I, I mean, there was a part of me that was disappointed, of course, because I had sort of set out uh, to try and achieve this. But there was also another part of me that was slightly delighted, in a sense, which might sound really odd to listeners. But the whole concept of what I wanted to achieve was becoming completely... Um, it wasn't quite how I imagined it would be. The idea of meeting people in cafes or restaurants became impossible. And so when I wasn't staying with one of my hosts who very kindly put me up, you know, I was camping in a field on my own. And so the sort of idea of meeting people was quite difficult when you couldn't go to these cafes, these bars, these restaurants, you know, just to have like a cup of tea or, you know, something like that just to chat because you know people are out doing their day-to-day and it's quite difficult if you're not in that situation and so that's when the sort of concept changed and the idea was to sort of show two different points of views um you know one with money the pros and cons and then one without money the pros and cons and so at the end of this trip i will try and explain how I felt, uh, which I just told you, I haven't told anyone that. Um, yep. But I, you know, I will try and explain the pros and cons of doing this. And you know, my personal opinion is, go to the cafes, have a drink, because that is where it's really, that's where you meet people. Um, without money, I, I, I sort of hope that. There aren't people following me on Instagram sort of going, if this guy manages to do it, I'm giving up my job and I'm traveling the world for free. <laughs> um, because I'm going to try and explain that that is just not a good way to travel. You know, travel is about freedom. 
and money sort of gives you the opportunity to be spontaneous at the time. Sort of now, I you know I can buy food. So that enormous worry I always had was just sort of gone. And you know I'm not for I you know I don't stay in hotels with B&Bs with this. You know I'm I'm still staying with random people or you know wild camping. But for me it was quite a relief to um, to change course because I didn't think the idea was working that well. And mm. um, what would you say your average spend will probably end up being then, kind of day to day, as it is now? Um, I, I probably try and sort of aim around sort of ten to fifteen euros. Uh, the idea is, you know, lunch. You just buy a sort of sandwich, uh, sort of piece of bread, and something to go inside, um, and then maybe. At a cafe, a cup of tea, and maybe a light snack in the evening. So something along those lines, it sort of just keeps you ticking over, especially on your own. I think if you're doing it with a lot of people, you can go to the supermarket, gather around a you know, camp. But on your own, you know, to sort of do that every day, it becomes quite sort of, um, well, not lonely, but it's just not the whole point of meeting people really sure sure and um i guess your day are you day 30 31 32 somewhere around there at the moment i think i'm 31 yeah how (laughs) what's your anticipation of how long this uh trip should take you to get into asia so i think um i think it'll probably be around 48 days to 50 or 45 to 50 days um I think that's the plan. At the moment, I'm just sort of going down the Croatian coast, which is very nice, but very hot. So um, I'm sort of, unless I am up at sort of, you know, the crack of dawn cycling away, um, it's quite difficult to sort of gain the miles. Um, So I'm covering about 100 odd kilometers a day, but to do any more is, well, in the sun is just... just just unpleasant really <laughs> and it, i mean how's the body holding up at the moment like um you're saying obviously getting in enough calories a day have you lost a substantial amount of weight or how have you felt on this journey so from lake como to when my bike uh broke i had gone 55 hours just on powdered food <laughs> so i had pretty much uh, what's the word? Um, so to sort of climb mountain after mountain and pass after pass on just powdered food proved really quite tricky. And um, you know, I uh, I definitely lost a bit of weight then. Um, and so now I'm trying to sort of pile it back on. But we, you know, it's not be on ends. I, I don't recommend it as a weight loss. Um, <laughs> weight loss uh you know um routine it's definitely not that enjoyable but uh, you know i when i get home you know i'll probably pick up the weight quite quickly um so i'm not that worried but yeah i definitely lost a bit of weight 
And so, I mean, you arrive in Asia, you, I presume you just jump on a plane and head back to the UK. Um, I mean, do you go back to, I say, in quote, normal life? Or is there already something in your head of where you're going to go to next? What's kind of, what's on the cards? Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's pretty much spot on. I, I, I will literally get into Asia and then I will book a flight, spend a couple of days and then be like, right, I've got to fly home. Um, but yeah, my plan is to go and live in Switzerland in the mountains for um, sort of probably the foreseeable future and just sort of, you know, with these trips, you're already planning your next one. And I think my plan is to base myself in the Swiss Swiss mountains and then next summer uh, plan my next adventure or two. And... Um, Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, why the Swiss Alps? Does that come about because you went through them this time and you just found them picturesque and beautiful and a place that you could want to be, or have you always wanted to be there? So uh, when, after university, I, I, I did a ski season there. And so um, I have friends there, and I, I can easily you know, help out friends along the way um, with stuff. And it, it's a sort of it's a nice base to have. Um, because you know, it's sort of skiing and um, and I just I, it's that's sort of just it's just a great sort of what's the word um, backdrop to adventure you know you've got mountains you've got everything and you know adventures just all around and every day you're sort of skinning up the mountain and you know jumping off cliffs or whatever you know it's just it's a lot of fun and say my my idea is to base myself there and take it from there really yeah fantastic um well i mean how's the i mean just lastly on kind of where you are now with the um the current trip how is the the body holding up have you had any niggles like um or injuries like you did through um kenya that have had to deal with or the bike has been a lot more kind to the body uh, the bike is definitely a lot kinder to the body. Um, my my real issue is uh, mosquitoes. They uh, they tend to have their way with me. Um, they absolutely love me for some reason. And so, uh, anytime there's a mosquito or two around, that you know my leg just becomes bitten to death. And that's probably the main niggles at the moment. Is just the constant itching and. Um, everything that goes with a lot of mosquito bites but um no luckily i've been okay so far with my bike uh, other than a few little scratches and bruises from um my bike picking it up or falling over on it but other from that it i've been quite lucky and has anyone along the the trip thus far or even the trip that you did through kenya did like anyone along the journey go, oh, well, I'll come with you tomorrow because I could ride there. Like, has anyone joined you on any of these legs? Uh, so I think in Kenya, a lot of people sort of, you know, came for a bit, you know, maybe a mile or two. But and on this trip, no, not so much. I sort of I'm sort of going on a route that I just sort of thought would be quite nice. And so now and again, you go on a stretch where you see loads and loads of uh, people touring, cycling, touring around. Um, but then you'll go for 10, 12 days without seeing any. 
So uh, it's sort of very rare. Sometimes you're like, oh, this is so nice, you know. I'm out in the middle of nowhere and, you know, no one. And then suddenly, you know, a day later, you've got 20 cycling tourers right behind you and 12 in front. And you're like, I am on the path with everyone else. <laughs> were you were you heading through <laughs> France at all then while the tour was on? Uh, so I wasn't. I, th- I I was just after the tour. So I started on the 17th, and I think the Tour de France ended... When did it end? Um, and there was a couple of times where I met people who were cycling back from the Tour de France. But uh, unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't catch any of it. Excellent, excellent. Well, um, I, I mean, it's been a fascinating story to... Uh, hear uh, what you're doing and I'm, uh, I'm hoping the audience uh, certainly has enjoyed it as much as I have learning about it. Um, as I always say to um, everyone that I'll be putting all of your details in the bottom of these show notes so if you do want to go and follow John on his adventures which I highly recommend you do um, whether you mean to do it or not you're a phenomenal photographer as well and a lot of the photos that you take along your journey if nothing else are um, amazing just to see the picturesque places you've been. Um, been going to but um but yeah just following your journey has been uh, fascinating and i I like to think of myself as being the adventurous type of person but you certainly make me seem like a very boring and uh, mundane kind of life that i live in um you know if it's um is it boyerific or whatever it is that i uh, live through you can um your journeys it's um it's been a pleasure um to one chat to you mate and obviously uh this is our first ever meeting and i just reached out to you and said i'd love to have a chat to you and you were very kind enough to say that so um, to join us, and so I thank you very much for that. Uh, well, no worries. Well, my whole I aim of these adventures is to try and show people that, you know, any anyone can do it. I mean, admittedly, sometimes the stuff I do might seem a bit crazy, but um, no, with like cycling across Europe or something, you know, you can do it in any way, shape, or form. Some people do what I do. Some people do credit card touring, which is a sort of very nice luxury way they get a nice bike and just their credit card and then put themselves up in hotels along the way so there's many different types of adventures along this sort of route uh that one can do but i always say just go out and create your own own path and see what see what the world does to you it's an amazing sorry no i was gonna say it's an amazing message to uh have and um I know the um, social media world and the media um, love to paint the picture of the world is a horrible place and there's horrible people in it, but I think they are on the very, very small minority, even though it's made to look like the majority. And your point in case, as you said, that just get out there and actually smile at people and um, you know, converse with people and engage with people, and you'll find that no, 99.9% of this planet are a, are beautiful people and they're um, more than accommodating to help you out along the way. No, yeah, absolutely. They uh, they couldn't be nicer, yeah. you know. Just ran, random strangers putting up and feeding me um, has just been absolutely amazing and just completely very humbling this sort of experience as well. Um, well, um, the last thing I always like to do is um, I like to an- uh, kind of ask a quick fire five, and it's like either a word or a statement, and um, I just get your kind of first word or statement or sentence that comes to your head with those uh, five questions. You happy to kind of go through the quick fire five? Okay, let's let's give it a go. Perfect. So the first one, um, favorite place you've ever seen? 
Ooh, I, I'd probably have to go with uh, the Fiordland National Park in New Zealand. Amazing. That is a pretty inspiring place. Perfect. Um, carbohydrate of choice. Ooh, I, I'd probably go with pasta. Perfect. Uh, any particular sauce that you like to have on that? I, I, you know, I'm a sucker for uh, pasta pesto. Perfect. Perfect. So so simple. Yep, and and delicious. <laughs> yeah. um, shoes or barefoot? Um, oh, I, you know, I'd always want to be barefoot, but I, I sort of at the moment where I am, it's very rocky, and as soon as I take my Sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, it's super nice. Take take your shoes off barefoot, and then you're like, ah, oh, this is really bloody painful. <laughs> so you chuck them straight back on. So I might have to go with shoes on that one. All right, all right. Um, running or cycling? I would probably say cycling. Perfect. Um, last one. It's a big one, but um, the meaning of life. Ooh. Um, <laughs> big question. Big question. Uh, the meaning of life. To uh, to explore, to enjoy, and to have fun. Couldn't have answered it better myself. I think that's a fantastic way to uh, put it down, mate. Um, but again, uh, thank you so much for your uh, your time. It's been great to chat to you, and um, I'd love to obviously have a chat to you again later on in life and um, and see how yeah, the whole yeah. trek went and kind of where you're at and um, what you're doing. And and as I said, mate, I just thank you for your time, and uh, I wish you well on your journey. And um, hopefully, it uh, all pans out how it's. Uh, how it is meant to be and it's uh, as enjoyable for you as it is enjoyable for us to watch. Oh, well, thank you so much. And as I say, absolute pleasure chatting. Not a problem. Well, um, that's been John. And as I said, everyone, uh, you better uh, go and have a follow of him. I'll put all of his show, uh, details in the show notes below. That's been another episode of How the Focaccia. I'd like to thank John for answering that question and we'll see you all next time on the next episode. See you later.